sudden death among healthy working age people worldwide is skyrocketing. Edward Dowd is an author of the new book, Cause Unknown. If you don't think it's the vaccines, what is it and why aren't we talking about it? This is multi-system fraud, pharmaceutical fraud, regulatory fraud, a media fraud, healthcare fraud. It's fraud across the board. I've never seen anything quite like it. Do you want to talk about the excess deaths and the way that you track this and, and what the book is really about and cost of the economy? I think you had made it an estimated $147 billion in damage. Here are the numbers we found in 2022. 300,000 excess deaths in the U.S., 1.36 million disabilities, 20 6.6 million injured people that's presenting itself as chronically missing work. So that's about 10% of the U.S. population. That's why it's a national security issue. And we got an estimate for the injured from the Pfizer clinical trial data. We were searching for how does it manifest? And when we found the uh, absence in work time loss, that's when we, then we said, aha. Uh -huh. And that's when we married those two together. Yeah, I guess if you look at the damage numbers you're talking about, then the big damage came from the vaccine, right? If these numbers were highlighted by all the news organizations, people would be running around like chickens with their heads cut off. But now there's silence on these numbers. These are pandemic numbers. You can't argue. I mean, it's just data. And the data is overwhelmingly telling you from many different angles that something happened in 21 and 22. We are in a pandemic I call of the vaccinated. This kind of silence and this cover-up is going to cause more damage. It's going to be very interesting the next 10 years. And I do think there's a renaissance on the other side. But between now and then, it's going to get pretty wild. This is London Real. I am Brian Rose. My guest today is Ed Dowd, the former hedge fund manager, whistleblower, and author. You spent most of your career on Wall Street with 10 years as a managing director for BlackRock, the world's largest asset management firm, overseeing a $14 billion fund. Your book, Cause Unknown, the epidemic of sudden deaths in 2021 and 2022, explores the sudden surge of deaths in working age people that most significantly was not attributed to COVID-19. You believe that the unexpected and sudden deaths of so many young and healthy people constitutes a national security concern. You also assert we are beginning a deflationary cycle that will become a recession and lead to a global economic collapse. From here, you expect the rollout of a central bank digital currency. Last month, you became co-treasurer for Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s campaign to seek the Democratic nomination for president. Ed, welcome back to London Real. Great to be here, Brian. Thanks for having me on again. Great to have you here. Um, I love it having you on because we can talk about so many different things. But first, I've got to ask you about Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s campaign. You know, I first met Robert when I had him on my show in May of 2020. I think he was the second guest I ever had on our digital freedom platform, which I had to create because we were getting censored by YouTube. And I walked into that episode telling Robert I was gonna get my vaccine. And by the end of the episode, my scientific MIT drained brain was thinking, wait a second, I need to really listen to this man and think long and hard about it. And I had an amazing conversation with Robert. We've had him on since. And quite frankly, it just kills me when I look at the mainstream media's portrayal of him because anybody who's ever spent an hour talking to Robert can realize he is an incredible man has a tremendous amount of integrity, a great vision. And so I was just really happy to see him running and to see you associated with his campaign. How's that been for you and how did that happen? Yeah, Bobby uh, wrote the foreword to my book and he was one of the uh, 
people who, uh, uh, along with Gavin DeBecker and Tony Lyons at Sky Arts Publishing, they, they all kind of pitched the book to me. And they said it's important that I use my data and, and, and get my voice out there. Cause it was a different voice at the time. It was a Wall Street voice. It was a trend analysis voice. It didn't I didn't go into the you know the science. I went into the body counting ones and zeros, disabilities ones and zeros, and now we have injuries ones and zeros. So that that was my contribution to this fight. Uh, I've got to know uh, know Bobby. I've done a couple speaking events with him for some of his. Uh, his former, well, he's no longer uh, with CHD, the the, found, uh, the nonprofit he founded because he's running for president. But uh, we did some events, got to know him very well. He's a man, like you said, of integrity and honor and truth, and that's a, that's an emerging trend. Uh, I think it's a it's a nascent trend, but it's going to explode. And I think uh, all the leaders going forward are going to have to exhibit those characteristics uh, because the current uh, clown show we have is full of gaslighting lies and deceit and all the people that are currently occupying seats of power have to go in my humble opinion and hopefully peacefully uh what a crazy concept that our leaders have to embody truth and integrity right absolutely and, and here's the thing about bobby so you know when uh when i joined the campaign there was the first call it was the exploratory uh committee before he decided to run and i was uh tapped for that so it was their early days. And he said on the call, uh, there were, you know, there were some pollsters on the call and he said, look, guys, uh, I'm going to lead uh, a lot of candidates lead uh, from behind with the polls. I'm going to speak the truth. I'm going to speak what I believe to be true. I'm not going to be poll driven. And when I heard that, that's when I was like, this is going to be great. And so you can see from his uh, public appearances, he's not holding any punches. He's not, you know, testing something first to see if it's going to resonate with the public. He's just saying what he believes to be true. And again, the, uh, one of the biggest uh, parts of his platform is uh, uh, freedom first. And we have medical tyranny and lack of uh, First Amendment rights in this country at the moment. And until we get those back, all the other issues you may or may not agree with Bobby on are kind of kicking around sand in the sandbox. Go, without those those core tenets uh, uh, of uh medical autonomy and, and freedom of speech. We got nothing. So that's, that's what we can all rally around. Get back to that. You get, get the And he's very familiar with all the agencies. He's worked with them in his prior environmental law practices. Uh, and he knows how the bureaucracy works and he knows how, how it's been uh, perverted and corrupted. So that's, he's, he's, he's the man for me. And I think he's the man for the nation. Yeah. It's a breath of fresh air to see a candidate who speaks his truth, you know, and it just, it resonates in 10 seconds of listening to him. It's like, well, here's a guy who really is telling you what he really thinks. It's not some canned line. It hasn't been ironed out and gone through all the approvals of all these committees and fundraisers. It's like, he's just, he's telling you what he truly believes. It's, um, and it's noticeable for me. And I think for a lot of people too. I mean, he's got some great poll numbers and depending on who you ask, I mean, I've heard behind the scenes that if you look at the real numbers, he's not actually far behind Biden, even though I think the official polls have him at 20%, which is still super strong for an, a candidate that just announced. Yeah, the, you know, what's, what's interesting is the establishment press is starting to talk about the fact that Biden has a Kennedy problem. And that's a good thing. And it, it is a problem. And, and, and there's chatter amongst the uh, oligarchic class that uh, 
they have to figure out a way to get rid of Biden, get someone else in there uh, soon, because he's. If, if this is allowed to continue, Bobby has uh, a very high chance of grabbing the nomination if they don't fix it. Uh, the establishment, that is, not us, obviously. Can Bobby grab the nomination from a Democratic Party that won't even let Biden debate? Is that possible? I think it's possible. And uh, what's going on is guerrilla media. I mean, his his message is getting out there. Uh, he, 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 you know, he was asked, does he care about the censorship? And he said, no, uh, there's there's a lot of independent voices. The trust in the media has never been so low. This COVID debacle, this vaccine debacle has shattered the trust in many institutions. And, you know, personally, uh, my social media metrics continue to accelerate. And that's not because of me per se, it's because of the information and message that I have. And people are finding me word of mouth and it's spreading. I, I, I can sense a spreading acceleration of what's uh, of what the truth is getting out there i mean obviously lives need to be saved and i'd love for the people in charge to declare uh the truth but you know if, if we have to spread it word of mouth and so be it you know i did a search for him here in london on my google in the news just to see who was covering him and of course the guardian came up one of the publications here in london and it called robert a conspiracy theorist, anti-vaxxer, and then was just pulling out all this nonsense. And I was like, really? That's how you're gonna cover this guy? And I don't know, I just sometimes, I continually to be shocked at what the mainstream media does, you know, to things. It, it still surprises me after all these years. Well, you know, I, I, I put out a tweet a couple of weeks ago that uh, we have a dearth of conspiracy theories. We have, we're undersupplied because a lot of the ones we had have come true. <laughs> so we need new ones. It's so true. You know, um, after we got done fighting YouTube in 2020 and we set up our freedom platform and on that platform, I had, you know, people like, uh, like Bobby and a bunch of other doctors that were speaking the truth. After that, I ran to be mayor of London. So I spent seven months in the spotlight with the mainstream media coming after me. So I know what it feels like to read a headline and you're reading about somebody who has your name, but it has not a single shred of truth in it. And it's like clickbait done to the extreme and to see publication after publication after publication come out with that. So I know what it feels like, um, but I'm glad Bobby is confident that like you said, the guerrilla media will get the message out to people. And yeah, him against Biden, you're right. They should really start to worry because it's night and day. And again, it's just, you couldn't make this stuff up. You know I mean? You know, Biden takes a fall yesterday and it's just like, they're still gonna try to sell that to the public and versus Bobby, it's just kind of hard to believe, but uh, I guess potentially those are the two candidates, right? Yeah, you know, the, the Biden fall was interesting. Uh, people wanted me to, you know, retweet that. And I, I'm at the point now where it's just sad and I don't need to highlight an old man falling. What I, what I think we should all do, uh, you know, collectively is, is shame folks who even try to pretend that this is okay. Uh, it's not, it, 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 making fun of Biden is kind of passe. It's, we should make fun of the people who actually try to gaslight us in our own discussions uh, locally and with friends. And if, if anybody at a cocktail party says to me anything about Biden that's remotely uh, favorable, I'm, I'm good, you know, you just shame them right then and there. And you just say, look, I can't take you seriously. This guy's not well, he's sick. Yeah, I had similar feelings. Like, I don't like putting someone down, 
But then I also see that that he's embodying some just terrible things to happen to the country. So yeah, I think your your call is probably the better way to go there. And uh, again, I've heard Bobby talk about this uh, censorship industrial complex that he's dealing with, but this is probably the best thing that he could do for his quote unquote image because they were able to pigeonhole him, you know, kind of last year. And even though his book was like the bestseller in America, he didn't get any coverage, but it feels like with him running for president, now the media is having to address him somewhat. And I feel like people are really starting to see more of what he's about, which I think is good for everybody. So. Uh, yeah, just I was really happy to see you on on board with that, and uh, wishing you all the best. Let me know how we can help over here. Absolutely, thank you so much. Um, let's jump into a couple things uh, because you know you've been talking about what we're looking at here with this economy, and I'm just curious if your opinion has changed in the last couple months. I think the last time we were uh, on talking, I think Silicon Valley Bank had just tanked. Now we've seen these inflation numbers seem to be revising to be uh, potentially less catastrophic, but now we're also hearing rumors of recessions happening here in Britain and in America. Real estate prices seem to be dropping globally. You know, you understand this because you worked on Wall Street and like you said, you go by the numbers. What do you see happening in this economy in the last few months and what should people really get their head around what's really happening here? So in November of last year, we put out an economic report, Mike, my partners at Finance Technologies calling for a recession in Q3 and Q4. As we've rolled through the first six months of this year, our early cycle indicators are telling us the recession will be as deep as the SNL crisis in the 90s economically. Again, what the financial assets do remains to be seen, but we suspect it'll be bad. And uh, we just put out a report yesterday, an inflation uh, update. We're now calling for deflation to rear its ugly head around Q1 of 2024. We're seeing um, a monetary supply uh, credit contraction that's gonna exacerbate the already weakening economic fundamentals. So we're looking for um, uh, inflation numbers to come down hard. And uh, we're, we're thinking that's gonna manifest itself in Q1 of 2024. So all this inflation talk is really rear view mirror. By the time we get to Q1 of 24, they'll be talking about deflation and there'll be a policy response from the Fed and uh, and the powers that be. The Fed will probably uh, uh, go from QT, quantitative tightening, to QE. There'll be chatter at that time of a central bank digital currency, we suspect, and uh, potentially a, a universal basic income. If, if it's as bad as we think this economic downturn could be. We don't know yet whether it's going to go systemic, meaning it causes the plumbing of the financial system to become unglued like the great financial crisis. But if that happens, Katie barred the door. Um, I suspect this budget deal that we saw, I put out a tweet on, on this yesterday. Everyone's been confused by this uh, this debt ceiling deal. Speaker McCarthy seemed to surrender everything to the, uh, to the, uh, to the Democrats. He, he, he did a, a two-year deal that's uncapped. So it's, it's capped in time, but not price. So it gives the government the ability to spend four to five trillion dollars. And everyone's confused. Everyone feels betrayed. I suspect if it isn't, you know, blackmail or payola schemes for McCarthy, uh, it's likely that he was informed of the coming economic uh, downturn and the government's going to need, uh, uh, the ability to spend a ton of deficit spending into a recession. So I think it's a tell. It's a tell of how bad things are going to get. 
uh, going into the end of this year and into next year. And uh, we have a problem. The the U.S. government's going to start issuing bonds again. That's going to crowd out other investments. So we're, we're going to see financial assets start to correct fairly shortly here. The stock market technically, I don't want to get into it, but we're close to this stock market in the U.S. rolling over hard and catching up with the reality of the earnings uh, of the uh, companies in the S&P that are going to start going down. And there'll be layoffs coming. Uh, it's going to be it's going to be very interesting in the second half of this year, especially into the fall. And how can the Fed still be talking about raising rates at this point? How can they still be implying or threatening that they're going to go up another quarter in the near term future when so many signs seem to be pointing out that this is this is really going to hurt when it goes the other way? Like you said, more like Q1 next year. Well, so when they were raising like uh, Jack Roberts the last year, they were unified. Now we're starting to see some uh, some dissent going on in in, in the governor board, uh, the Federal Reserve board. We're starting to see some people say we should pause, we should take uh, a moment to breathe. I think what the the mistake they're making, especially Powell, is they're looking at the unemployment, which is artificially low. We think it's because the labor pool is smaller than they think. Uh, we we due to the uh, vaccine injuries and the disabilities and the deaths, we think the labor pool. Uh, is is slightly smaller, so we we figure the unemployment rate of three point five percent is really two point two point seven percent, and and point seven percent has been shaved off through uh, the uh, disabilities, deaths, and injuries. And the injuries manifest themselves in lost work time and and lost work uh, and absences, which went off the rails in twenty twenty two. Thirteen standard deviations above a twenty year trend, both in the U S. And the UK, we just did the UK data, and they're they're, ver- they're, they're they're they look exactly the same. So, if you don't think it's the vaccines, what is it, and why aren't we talking about it? it, it it's a it's basically a bunch of people uh, in the workforce who are, who are chronically sick. Yeah, let's actually just highlight that quickly because from a a data guy, when you see two different countries separated by an ocean that have a lot of fundamental differences, even though they're both G7, and you see a similar number of standard deviations like that. How does that make you feel? Oh, I, 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 first of all, for, the, for those in the audience who don't understand what standard, standard deviation is, it's, it's a probability distribution curve. And a three standard deviation event is what we call a tail event, and it happens 0.03% of the time. And on Wall Street, that's a big deal. Three, just three. All you need is three, and we, you know, guys on Wall Street start to worry. Well, this uh, work uh, absence and work time lost is twelve and thirteen standard deviations in the uh, UK and US in twenty twenty two. That's a black swan event. I mean, that just that just boggles the mind. This th- this deviation from trend just make and and happening in both countries simultaneously is a signal. And again, you know, using deductive reasoning and simple logic. This started. This trend started in 2021 and accelerated in 2022. So you have to ask yourself, what changed in 2021? Well, mass vaccination programs and mandates in the U.S. So unless someone has a better explanation, uh, it needs to be investigated. But it, it doesn't seem to be even acknowledged, or that statistic even being talked about by the governments. I mean, the, the, the numbers are just there in the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics and the U.K. ONS data. It's just there. 
And so while we're here, and for people that might not know the entire background, do you wanna talk about the excess deaths and the way that you've tracked this and, and what the book is really about and you know the cost of the economy? I think you had made it an estimated $147 billion in damage and just kind of those assertions because I think those missing work numbers, you know, they, they kind of roll off of that from your research. Yeah, correct. So, you know, the, the journey I began was just following some trends and some of the earliest trends were excess deaths. They started showing up in the insurance company results in 2021, funeral home results, meaning funeral home companies were beating and raising earnings. And while the management teams were expecting, they were legitimately expecting after the first wave of COVID to go back to normal trend, but they, it didn't. And they started to become growth companies, which again, we should be asking ourselves, why are funeral home companies growth stocks again? So those two trends led me to other databases like the CDC, uh, the Society of Actuaries. And what we found is there was a mix shift from old to young. So during uh, 2020, there were excess deaths, but they're mostly old. It became established fact that COVID mostly uh, affected uh, older folks with comorbidities. Well, then suddenly in 2021, uh, excess deaths took off, especially in the working population, uh, more so than the general population. And that was proven in uh, in my book. And and it's continued, continued to this day. The uh, Society of Actuaries just released their 2022 report. And young folks are continuing to die in their uh, group life business uh, in the millennial age group, 12% more than the general U.S. population. So again, uh, whatever's happening is affecting the working uh, folks in, in both in all countries across the Western nations. So that, that's something that needs to be investigated. It's not normal and it's flipped. It's a relationship that it never held before. In fact, the Society of Actuaries have proven uh, in a study in 2016, which I QR code in my book, that their business is a good business. They they determined that group life policyholders die normally at one third the rate of uh, the general U.S. population in any given year, and that all flipped in 2021. Uh, there was an eight percent differential, forty percent excess deaths between 25 and 64 in group life versus 32 percent in the general U.S. population in 2021. So excess deaths have come down since then, but they're still high for the working folks, and that continues. Uh, we're running, we're running now uh, between fifteen and, and twenty percent excess deaths across all Western nations right now. That's extremely high. Ten percent is a once in a two hundred year flood, according to Scott Davison at uh, One One America. He said that in January of twenty twenty two. So statistically, ten percent is crazy. That's three standard deviations. 40% is off the charts. That's what happened in 21. And 20% uh, is, is an abomination. And, and unfortunately, the trend uh, into 2023 doesn't seem to be uh, normalizing yet. It's still running It's still running quite high, especially in group life. And group life for me is the smoking gun because these are the people that work at the Fortune 500 mid-sized, mid-sized companies who are basically mandated. Yeah, that was my next question. What do you expect to happen to those numbers in 23? in different places around the world? And is it gonna be correlated to where the vaccine is still being promoted or even mandated? I'm sure that's gonna be part of our analysis. Uh, our biggest fear is that um, we don't know the medium and long-term effects. And what concerned us when we produced the vaccine damage report, the number you referenced of about 150 billion in economic damages, what we saw that was disturbing was that the 
absence and work time lost accelerated into 2022. It, it became significantly worse. It was like it was six standard deviations in 21 in both the UK and the US, and then it accelerated to 13 and 12 standard deviations. So we're concerned that um, even though you may not be getting boosters, there may be a certain segment of the population where damage has been done and your immune system's been compromised. So you're injured and you're chronically getting ill. And unfortunately, these buckets are not static. So you can go from injured to disabled, potentially dead. And the number here are the numbers we found in 2022: 300,000 excess deaths in the U.S. Uh, due to the we believe to the vaccine. We think that's low. We're, we're very conservative. 1.36 million disabilities and uh, 26.6 million injured people. That's presenting itself as chronically missing work. So that's about 10% of the U.S. population. Um, that's why it's a national security issue, and it seems to be predominantly found in the working folks of this country, not those at, at, you know who are either retired or working for themselves who chose not to get the job or quit to, to, to get the job. We found uh, those not in labor force in 2022 and 21, their disability rate went up the least, only 4% versus the employed disability rate, which went up 31%. So whatever happened in 21 and 22 was detrimental to your health to be employed. And obviously, you know, the only thing that changed was the vaccine and mandates. And if it's not that, uh, what is it and why is it not being talked about? And the circular logic takes you back to the fact that it's likely a cover up at this point. And when it's hitting the employed, that means it's hitting the people that are healthy enough to work. Yes. So by the very nature of getting up in the morning and getting to a job and being young, you're the healthiest amongst us. You know, you're, you know, you're between 25 and 44. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll just use that group, the millennials. You're the healthiest amongst us. You have access to the best health care. But yet, mysteriously, in 21 and 22, your health outcomes as a group are worse than the general population. That, that, that should never happen. And it's a national security issue. That's what I've said to Senator Ron Johnson. Uh, in our military, I've talked to Teresa Long. Uh, uh, Colonel Teresa Long, and uh, she's one of the whistleblowers, and she suspects that if we don't fix all this, and given the um, the problems they're having with recruitment due to the woke nature of the military, we won't have a standing army in five years. Because what people don't understand is, for every one pilot that flies a jet, there's you know seven to ten support people behind that, them, and if you get two of those people either dying, disabled, or chronically sick, you have you have a problem. Those numbers are just hard to comprehend, 26 million injured. And it, like you said, it's one thing to look at the deaths, but if the, if the injured are harder to quantify, but if you're seeing the missing work going up, that's a great way to see it. But like you said, it's unknown. So that could go up in the next year, even if there's not people vaccinated, because you don't know the damage that's being done and how much it disabilitates someone before they even die, right? You just don't know. We don't know. We don't know the medium term effects. And you know, as a uh, as a trend follower, we're looking at the disability trend. So the, the the rate of change in the growth of disabilities has slowed, but the trend, you know, if, if you're going to draw a, a a trend line, it hasn't broken trends. So disabilities, if every if if, if things were going to get back to normal, we should see a break in the trend, and we haven't yet. It's just the the the, the rising disabilities has slowed, which is good news, but we also suspect that. 
part of the issue is that some of those people who are disabled are dying. So the numbers are uh, slowing potentially because of deaths. I think I read a study that in Switzerland a few weeks ago that they're no longer suggesting the vaccine for for children or able-bodied people, but they still are in other countries, maybe even the U.S. Like, what what is the status of how hard people are pushing the vaccine at this point? So it's still mandated in many colleges across the country. Uh, first responders uh, in hospitals and police departments and fire departments are still under mandates in certain areas of the country. Uh, there's still some corporations that are probably um, still pushing this. The good news is, is that booster uptake is way down and, and the general populations of the globe um, are using common sense. They, they know it doesn't work. So why, you know, continue the insanity of doing something that doesn't work? And, 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 and that I'm happy about that. But the, again, the thing that I'm most concerned about are the medium to long-term effects. Has damage already been done? And the, the, the thing for me that really got me concerned was when we discovered the injured which we got, we got an estimate for the injured from the Pfizer clinical trial data. And that's why they wanted to hide it for 75 years because uh, that's our estimate. And, and, it sh- and again, so you have an estimate of injured, but then you ask yourself, well, we were searching for how does it manifest? And when we found the uh, absence in work time lost, that's when we, then we said, aha. And that's when we married those two together. And to give you an idea of the economic damage, uh, we estimate 5.2 billion lost in wages from the dead, um, about 52 billion dis- disabled, and uh, 89 billion from lost work time from the injured. So the the injured are, uh, are causing the most economic damage, and there's also the productivity lost that we can't measure. We can o- we can only measure wages. What what do I mean by productivity? Productivity is a, a, a is a is a, a, a multiplier of our economy. So the more productive we are, the more economic growth we have, and it's very the multiplier effect. So since we can't measure that, our 150 billion estimate could be 500 billion, could be a trillion. We don't know. What we do know is when you're chronically ill, um, the other people that aren't ill have to pick up the slack and they get burnt out and they may get sick, not because of vaccine injury, just because they're overworked. Uh, they're not uh, chugging along at full speed. And if you are at work and you're chronically ill, you may not be working uh, at 100% capacity. You may be working at 75% even when you do show up, maybe 50%. So there's lots of lost productivity. And, you know, that's just showing up anecdotally uh, all over the U.S., especially in service industries where restaurants are closing early, um, car repair shops aren't uh, uh, moving things through fast enough. So there's just it's starting to slowly show up in the productivity of the economy. And is anybody in a higher place willing to have conversations. I mean, you mentioned the general, you mentioned the senator, you know, has any of that changed where people are willing to even discuss this with you? I mean, obviously having Robert out there is great because there's someone in a political party that's actually talking about this, but is anybody else engaging with you? So I was told by some uh, media people that they would put me in touch with Marjorie Taylor Greene, who was running the COVID investigation committees. And I became frustrated because no one reached out to me. And then Dr. Robert Malone recently um, said as much in a tweet. Uh, I retweeted it. Then he went on Steve Bannon's show and said, it's been crickets from uh, the, you know, the uh, Congress. 
that should be reaching out to Dr. Malone. He mentioned my name in the interview and said they're not, Ed Dowd and I have not been sought after for our expertise. So we're just curious as to why no one really wants to bring us to, uh, to the Hill and testify. Because as far as I'm concerned, there's, you know, a lot of people in all the countries of the globe who are getting sick and they're going to their doctors and their doctors. And then and if you're not informed of what we are informed of, you go in and you have a symptom. So the doctor treats the symptom, but not the underlying cause, which we think is a compromised immune system. And there are all sorts of protocols being developed to detoxify the spike protein. So until we have a um, kind of a national global conversation about this, people are going to continue to treat the wrong things and not uh, solve the underlying problem. That's what I'm most uh, annoyed with is that this this kind of silence and this cover-up is going to cause more damage. Has anybody spoke to the government in the, the Congress or the Senate about this? I, I, I haven't seen any hearings. I haven't seen. No, no, no. This been, the, the, the COVID hearings have been focused on the Kabuki theater around the Wuhan lab and, and, and you know, the wet markets. I mean, that, that for, for me, I don't, I, I don't care where the virus came from. All I know is we, we, we produced a product that seems to be killing, maiming, and disabling, you know, untold amounts of people. So we don't, you know, we don't even know the origins of the virus. That seems like kabuki theater to me and a distraction. Yeah, I guess if you look at the damage numbers you're talking about, then the big damage came from the vaccine, right? Yeah, yeah. No, so I, I've, I've said publicly on a number of uh, podcasts that the numbers we're seeing now with the uh, lost work time, the disabilities and the deaths, we have pandemic numbers today. We, we are in a pandemic I call of the vaccinated. And if these numbers were highlighted by all the news organizations, like the deaths were in 2020 with the case count and the death count, people would be running around like chickens with their heads cut off because they, you know, listen to the media. But now there's silence on these numbers. These are pandemic numbers we're seeing. Uh, but uh, uh, you know, the WHO just said uh, uh, the pandemic's over a couple of weeks ago. Rochelle Walensky, the head of the CDC, resigned the same day. So there seems to be this. I like to use the Homer Simpson meme, uh, Homer Simpson, you know, backing into the hedgerow to disappear. It seems to me that that's what the global authorities hope will happen. I'm having flashbacks here, Ed, because that same newspaper, The Guardian, that, you know, described Bobby that way, were printing these numbers in 2020. And I mean, I just would wake up every day and they printed them and it was like, you know, terror porn. And they were just literally terrorizing the nation with these numbers after numbers after numbers that, you know, what the hell did they mean at the end of the day? And it was this way of just constantly instilling fear in everyone about something that really was affecting a very tiny percentage of them. Uh, meanwhile, I'm getting taken off the air. And I'm also, to add insult to injury, Ed, I'm having conversations with like the Great Barrington Declaration people and Bobby Kennedy and all these people that are speaking reason to me. And I see this complete disconnect with the media. And now, like you said, we seem to be seeing it in the completely the other way, where there's actually a real problem we need to focus on and it's not being mentioned at all. Oh, it's, I mean, Jamie Foxx uh, had some serious stroke brain injury. The insiders are now coming out and saying that it happened right after he took a shot for a movie he was filming. Uh, and, uh, People don't want to talk about it. I mean, this is this is this is crazy making at this point uh, and insanity. 
and they hope that this can go away, but it's not. And and again, I can tell by the uh, the reception that I used to receive, where I was considered crazy to thank you so much, is what I'm seeing now when I go out and about on the island of Maui. More and more people recognize me. You know, I, I go to the beach. I'm not a celebrity, but people approach me on the beach. So, and my friends are like, wow, that's weird. I go, well, that's good news because it means, you know, there's an awakening going on. And, uh, you know, I did an, a, a little analysis of Maui de- uh, deaths, just straight up deaths. I didn't analyze it, but every year since uh, 2019, deaths on Maui have gone up while the population has decreased since 2019 by about 2%. I was on a radio show uh, in the, uh, on the island of Kauai. Uh, a woman who runs that radio show, uh, Felicia, Felicia Cal- Caldwell. She's also a council uh, woman on the uh, the Kauai, uh, uh, you know, uh, advisory board. And she did the same analysis on her island and, and deaths have gone up every year since, since uh, 2019. And again, this is not rigorous analysis. These are small islands. Population of Maui is 150,000. But whatever has happened... Just to the islands of Hawaii, the, the health response is causing more people to die each year, more so than the previous year. So again, and we're seeing this in other countries as well, this, especially Australia. I'm going to Australia next week uh, to do an event in Perth, 2,500 people auditorium. It, it, it sounds like it's going to sell out. I'm going to show the Australians that their excess deaths in 2022 are about 16% uh, versus, I think, 4% in 21 and minus 2% in 2020. So whatever they're doing there uh, is causing uh, a rise. And again, these numbers, had these numbers occurred in 2020, we would have been told about them, but now it's crickets. And I, I, you know, if people were unvaccinated and dying suddenly, let's just assume that was going on. I suspect the media would be highlighting that and, and shouting from the rooftops, but they're not. So, this is, the, I think, the biggest fraud and crime I've ever seen in my financial career. Uh, and I think it's probably in your career, too. I mean, I used to see a lot of fraud on Wall Street. This is fraud. This is multi-system fraud. This is, you know, pharmaceutical fraud, regulatory fraud, uh, media fraud, um, healthcare fraud. It's fraud across the board. I've never seen anything quite like it. Yeah, and you mentioned Jamie Foxx and rumors are have it that he did not want to get the vaccine, but he was pressured from Hollywood or the production company he was working for. And yet that seems to go counter to the Hollywood narrative, which is quite married up with the, you know, the left-wing narrative, which was the masks and the vax and all of that. And so they can't talk, right? And then in that industry, if you say something against it, I guess you never work. And so it's just this weird silencing thing going on. And then, you know, it's anecdotal, but you look at the guy like Jamie Foxx, I mean, pretty strong guy, right? And it's, it's, it's this weird mystery and no one's saying anything. You know, you know, this, if you look at him physically, he looks like a very healthy man. I mean, he's a good looking man, fit, low body fat. And all of a sudden he gets a stroke out of nowhere. Uh, and, and, and it happened within, you know, I think 24 hours of his getting, of getting a vaccine. Uh, anybody who wants to try to discount that is literally living in in fantasy land. And again, I don't like to talk about specific cases. I'm more about the metadata, but this has already been reported by the mainstream media, MS, uh, uh, MSN, 
uh, has put it out on the news. So like even the establishment media is having to report this. This is this is the interesting thing about this. And I do think that this is slowly uh, getting out there into the consciousness of those who don't pay attention. Those who do pay attention already know what we know, but it's starting to dawn on people something seriously off. Yeah, again, I challenge anybody to think back in the last 20 years or maybe 40 years of a similar example of a guy in Hollywood with the same fitness level, the same everything level, Jamie Foxx, that suddenly got a stroke. I can't think of a single one, you know? I mean, we had Michael Jackson die, but we figured out what that was about. You know, we have sometimes these sudden deaths, but I can't think of anything like this. And, you know, we're seeing a a string of these things. And then we had the DeMar Hamlin incident uh, on the football field. And uh, he did an, an interview where, again, I don't want to comment on whether or not he took the vax, but when he was asked about his medical condition, he said, I'd rather not go there. So whatever happened with DeMar, it's, you know, and again, I'm a, I'm an analyst. It seems like someone got to him and gave him a lot of money and he signed uh, an agreement not to talk about it because it's, you know, they, they asked, what did your doctor say? And he said, I'd rather not talk about that, which is very curious. Yeah. And again, like how how many decades of uh, American football footage do we have? And we've never, ever seen that happen on the field, have we? I mean, no. never, never. I mean, never, because I haven't watched football since I was a kid. Never seen that, ever. And- I, I think there was one in, one incident in the, in, the, in the 50s, but uh, again, n- not in my lifetime. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty wacky. You mentioned Australia. Talk to me about the data down there, because... Australia has always been a massive audience for us at London Real. I found that the people down there, they're always looking ahead. They're always open to new ideas and information, new physical practice, new mental practices. And they usually punch above even the Brits here when it comes to, like I said, new ideas. And yet during the lockdown, it was really hard to watch how they seemed to be punished by madness and just so many mandates and lockdowns, et cetera. What are you going to tell them when you go down to that stage in Perth and are they going to want to hear it? Well, you know, I think the audience is going to be filled. I was told with obviously some of the red meat crowd, the echo chamber, people already know and believe what we believe. And hopefully I'd like to see a lot of people who are kind of on the fence and those who uh, think I'm crazy because I'm just going to present the facts and the data. And then at the end of my presentation, it's going to be about 30 minutes. I'm going to focus on the U.S., but at the end, I'm going to show the work our team has done on Australia, and I'm going to pose the question to them, whatever whatever happened in your country, if you don't want to believe that it's the vaccines, whoever was in charge of your health response has hurt you, and you need to investigate this at a bare minimum, because your excess deaths have gone up every year since 2020. So your health response is an epic failure, and you need to start asking questions. And then I'm going to say, I would hope that, that your unity in trying to fight COVID and maybe making some errors. I hope that once this information presented, your unity will quickly turn the other way and you'll pull a 180. And I would love to see Australia shame the US, us Yanks, and uh, pull the vaccine before we do. That's gonna be my challenge to them. Shame the Yanks. Good, it's a powerful thing to do. Speaking of governments, you know, we saw a very odd thing that happened in the European parliament where a few figures went over there, including Dr. Malone, and I think David R. Martin was there, and they were allowed to talk about, you know, the, the epic failure. And I think David R. Martin said he had been there 10 years earlier, warning of the same thing happening, 
It's also weirdly coincidental because Plandemic 3 airs this weekend and we actually live streamed the Plandemic 2, which really featured David R. Martin. And again, a lot of facts in that movie. It was almost pure facts. It was just information and data that you could track yourself about different types of uh, research being done in certain places. Just curious for your thoughts on on what happened there. Yeah, so I watched uh, uh, Martin's speech and it was great. And he's done a lot of, I mean, this, this, this is a man who has deep knowledge of what's been going on. And the thing that struck me was he said, look, this didn't magically happen overnight in the last three years. The seeds of what took place were planted years and decades ago. And I've also come to that realization as well that um, the system since the great financial crisis has been a system of uh, um, the rich getting richer and consolidation of power into central banks and and, and governments. Uh, global governments have been growing as a percent of GDP ever since the great financial crisis. So there's been a consolidation of power. Uh, a lot of corporations are aligned with government uh, because that's a big part of the uh, market. So they, and then the government can extract concessions from them. That's why big tech probably agreed to the censorship uh, that we're seeing. So the seeds of this evil creep of the bureaucracy and, and, and the few elite has been going on since the great financial crisis. So what we're seeing, uh, you know, with the COVID response, the, the seeds were planted well before that. And I think that's what people need to get their heads wrapped around. I was early on to this COVID suspicion when I saw a Federal Reserve president speak, uh, you know, within a month of the lockdowns about uh, immunity badges and surveillance technologies. That was uh, James Bullard. And that's when I said, whoa, 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 why, why is a Fed president talking about my health? And then I knew something was afoot. And I, I, I think, I think, um, it, and this is all speculation on my part. I mostly, you know, reside in facts and data. But what makes the most sense to me is that COVID, whether it was engineered or an accident, who cares, uh, was a system implemented to control and lead us through an economic implosion due to a, a system of money that's coming to an end. And, you know, if you're if the, if the system's coming to an end and you're the central bankers and politicians responsible for that, would, would you want to take the blame or would you like to point the finger at something else? And COVID certainly was a war and it was an inflationary war. The amount of money that was printed was effectively like a war. And it, uh, it, it saved it saved the global economies that were rolling over in 2019 and gave us another two years of uh, of, of uh, kabuki theater. But here we are again with money supply now turning negative year over year growth for the first time since 1930, and we're we're gonna we're gonna see uh, you know the whipsaw effect of their policy. So they they uh, didn't raise interest rates soon enough, so they waited too long and said the inflation was transitory. So we got the inflationary spike. And now they've raised so hard and so fast, we're going to see the whipsaw effect uh, of the money. So the money supply went like this to the highest point ever. And now it's it, 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 like a whipsaw effect down to negative. And now we're going to see deflation. And I suspect whether through, I'm not, I wasn't in the room, but if I wanted to um, destroy the economy, and uh, in, you know, and 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 make banks consolidate. This is how I would do it. I would I would I would juice it up, then pull pull the ripcord, and cause uh, people to be on the wrong side of the trade. All the banks are on the wrong side of this trade. They are uh, underwater, and there's going to be huge uh, consolidation of regional banks in the U.S. 
And it, we started to see the beginning of that with Silicon Valley Bank, First First Republic, uh, Republic uh, whatever that one's called. I can't remember, but uh, these banks are going to start consolidating and they're going to be bought by the big six. Yeah, it's already happening. They're like gulping them up. And it's almost like they're cheering the Fed on to keep raising rates, which then again puts pressure on those regionals that have these mismatched balance sheets because they know that at the end of the day, they'll be the Citibanks and the JP Morgans that'll kind of own everything. You know, it's funny because now they're going in front of asking Jamie Dimon about, you know, all the, the, the stuff going on with the financier and the Epstein stuff. And it was funny because there was an email from Epstein and he said, oh, JP Morgan, which is an ad hoc branch of the government, is one of the emails that was there. And I just looked at that and I was like, I kind of laughed out loud that, you know, he was even calling it that. Um, but you can kind of see this thesis that you were saying has even been hatched as long as 10 years ago to cover up what was financial, financial doomsday scenario anyways, and then consolidate at the same time. That is ultimately your assertion, right? Correct. And, you know, uh, I, I, I know firsthand, at least anecdotally, that I believe the banks were not, a lot of people say the banks took over Washington. No, 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 no. Washington took over the banks in the great financial crisis. They were held at gunpoint. They were fined. No one went to jail. And that's because the fines were negotiated. And I think uh, the government uh, basically took over Wall Street. And, uh, you know, Larry Fink, uh, I, I believe, said that. Uh, I think I either heard it or, or someone told me he said early on, well, it looks like uh, power shifted to D.C. And we have to get a lobbyist down there. So, I mean, Larry was smart enough to realize the game had shifted and that uh the government was now running the show. And, you know, right after the great financial crisis, regulators basically moved in and occupied offices of all these banks. And they now like they basically reside in, in, in these banks. They're permanent. They're permanent fixtures. That's wild. And you mentioned how technology was, was co-opted into this whole thing. Do you have any more deeper thoughts on that? Because, you know, Ed, when we got when we started getting taken off the air in April, May of 2020, I, I, I struggled to find a direct connection between the Googles of the world and ultimately pharma and some of these other things. And everyone always said, well, Google has ownerships of this and that. But for me, it never seemed obvious. I'm just curious, where, where do you go on that? Well, there's two, there's two things. So what people don't know, but is, 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 is fact certain in my mind, is that when these companies were launched, and started to grow. They got big government contracts from the CIA and NSA, uh, primarily for overseas um, purposes. And the, these contracts, you can't, you know, when you when you get a contract like this, it's secret. You're the CEO and CFO, and you have to sign national security documents. And if you, you divulge any of this information, you can go to jail. So the the, the, the intelligence agencies kind of started to own these CEOs. And, and so the, 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 and, and, and at first it seemed great because, you know, we were able to use these social media companies to do things overseas. The Arab Spring, uh, a lot of that was uh, managed via social media and intelligence agencies manipulating social media. Then, uh, I think that's been turned inwards into the U.S., into the domestic arena. And I think also when COVID hit, uh, the technology companies said, well, it is what it is. This has happened. But let's how do we make money off this? Well, there's going to be all these cash flow streams from surveillance uh, 
apps and technologies to make sure everyone's vaccinated, digital IDs are coming. So they, they saw cash flow streams. And when the government asked them to censor, uh, they said, sure. I mean, that, that's kind of how, I mean, they, you know, they just kind of said, okay. Cause so they were co-opted and now, uh, they're, they have blood on their hands. So I think it was a, I think it was the intelligence agencies have already been embedded in these social media companies. I think, uh, uh, the incentives for cash flow streams and the momentum going one way. And, uh, you know, th- they said, sure. They just, they, they threw ethics out the window and said, yeah, we'll do what you, whatever you want. And on that note, what did you make of the Twitter files? And do you ever wonder what the YouTube files look like? I sure want to see mine. Uh, I'm sure, I'm sure your friend center on a list somewhere. Um, uh, I, you know, the, the Twitter files just proved uh, to me what we, you and I already knew this intuitively. We didn't need the Twitter files to, but it's nice to be, you know, recognized as correct. It, it, and what it's unveiled or re- uh, revealed is, uh, it, as Bobby calls it, an industrial censorship complex. There's actually an industry that's grown up around this uh, where uh, there's, there's, there's companies that, that engage in this, that make money doing this. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's kind of a system that we weren't aware of. And it's, it, and that's why it seems so coordinated because the government, I think the government alone couldn't have done this because it's the government, but, uh, there are a lot of, um, private firms and subcontractors that did all the bidding. Yeah. We're about to drop a documentary film about what happened to us in basically April and May of 20 and the whole story of the censorship. But you know, there's one point in the film where, you know, PayPal suspending me, Dropbox is suspending me, YouTube is suspending me, uh, LinkedIn is suspending me, and I'm I'm just like, you know, how can all this happen at once? And you know, I I I don't entertain conspiracy theories at the time, but of course they've all come true. But I I literally didn't know why or how. And then when I looked at the Twitter files, I was like, well, here we have government agencies that are multiple government agencies actually fighting over each other to get Twitter to censor people. And so if they're doing it there, why wouldn't they be doing it at all these other big platforms? And so for the first time I thought, oh, that's probably what was going on. But before that, I had never actually convinced myself that there was maybe a coordinated effort. It's looking more and more like it was and that there's a, that there's actual firms that do this for a living. I mean, that, that to me is pretty striking. Yeah, no, it is for sure. Um, the WHO, came out recently and I talked to Dr. Malone about this last week about, you know, how they're pushing through a plan to kind of take over the sovereignty of nations uh, on the next pandemic and trying to get to already set up a plan to where they can kind of supersede governments. And I know people are trying to push back. Just curious if you had any thoughts on that, uh, on that whole thing happening. Uh, first of all, the who failed in this pandemic and the mere fact that they have the arrogance to ask for all this power is but boggles my mind. And what boggles my mind even further is that uh, governments are entertaining pushing this through. So clearly, there's money involved. Clearly, uh, there's something going on that we're not aware of because this it seems on its face absurd and insane. Um, so we have to fight this uh, tooth and nail. I think let's say that they do get all the power they want and they, and then the next quote unquote pandemic comes, which they've already said is going to be worse. Uh, how they know that I don't know, but 
they're 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 already marked uh, pre-marketing uh, the event. Um, I think the pushback will be immense this time. I don't think people are going to fall for it again. And if, if and if a lot of people still do, I think we'll have more on our side this time because I know you and I and others felt very alone in the beginning of this. But I think next time we'll have more uh, more um, people standing beside us. So I, I I think even if they get through all this nonsense, we're we're still going to win in the end if they try to pull that. I, I don't think people are going to fall for it again personally. Yeah, I mean we're definitely kind of anti fragile in that sense because we've now built up almost like these kind of information supply lines and we've been battle hardened through this. And it's, yeah, it's, it's much, be, be much easier to fight back against something in the future. Uh, so yeah, I agree with you on that standpoint, but it just flabbergasts me that, that they're already trying to set that up and to try to take power away from some of those sovereigns. Um, just wanted to go back to what we started with, which is this kind of Q124, if you're talking about recession, um, <clears throat> what does that look like globally? What's going to start to happen? And then talk to me about the CBDCs and the UBI. And then, you know, I'm going to be asking you about artificial intelligence after that. Yeah. So right now, the underlying economy is a disaster. I have a friend who runs a moving company on uh, Maui and he's seeing it in his numbers. I have a friend who works for a title and escrow company on Maui. Their numbers are a disaster. You're closing offices. So the real underlying economy, trucking companies are going bankrupt. So in the real world, it's already happening, but the mainstream media is not talking about it. But so people are seeing it. It's going on. The financial uh, markets are um, kind of still holding in there. Uh, the stock market peaked in 2022, January 2022. It went down into October uh, and then it's had what we call a bear market rally. And it's uh, it's almost it's coming close to an end because at some point um, the reality of the earnings of these uh, companies is going to you know come to the forefront because what we've had the last six months in this rally is multiple expansion and it can, and, and really the breadth on the uh, stock market is so bad it's been six stocks and in the last month uh, the top six stocks are up like something like twenty six percent the S and P I think is flat and the average stock equal uh, market cap weighted is down 2%. And year to date, it's the same picture. The top six up 65%, the S&P up eight, and the average stock down 1.4%. So in, on Wall Street, we call that breadth. The breadth is horrendous and it's a mirage. So, you know, the news media looks at the indices. And so the indices aren't reflecting what we know is coming and it will. And when it does, um, the longer uh, this doesn't correct, uh, the more crashy it becomes at some point. So the faster uh, the stock markets will will go down. So I think we're going to see that starting either imminently or in the fall, depends on what goes on. I think this budget deal uh, is a sell the news event. And uh, I think uh, what people don't understand is that the Treasury hasn't been issuing bonds. They've been drawing down on the Treasury general account. And so that's actually stimulative to the stock markets. It provides liquidity to the market. Once they start reissuing bonds, that will drain liquidity, and uh, we'll see uh, a, a problem uh, in, in the prices of stocks. That's when people will start to pay attention. The real world is already a disaster. Uh, and so we think um, it's bad now. Most people uh, that, are, that run businesses know this. The general person does not. 
But as we move through the next six months, it'll become apparent to people that something has gone off the rails. And I think uh, the uncapped budget deal, again, in my humble opinion, uh, was done so that the government can uh, have uh, firepower, uh, dry powder and firepower to spend into a deep recession, deficit spending, which is what they usually do in a recession. And tax receipts will be way down. So that's why this deal, I think, was structured this way, because it's kind of a tell. They know what's coming and it's going to be bad, but it's not it's not the end of the world. And I think there's always opportunity. Uh, and if you're been listening to myself and others, we've been saying, hey, ha- have some cash in your portfolios, sidestep, sidestep the storm and buy like uh, Warren Buffett's going to buy at the bottom. I mean, that's that's how pros do it. They they don't wait for the, the, the media to tell them what to do. They act. Then the media, when they tells you what, uh, what to do, that's it's already it's already it's already all priced in. By the time they say that the world's ending sometime in the fall and it won't be, that's when you buy. When the news flows the worst, that's when it's going to probably be um, a good time to at least make uh, some long-term investments. But I, I think they're going to use this financial crisis as an opportunity to start to float the idea of the central bank digital currency as a solution. Uh, I think the, they're going to dangle UBI, uh, uh, universal ba- basic income, as a uh, goodie, and uh, they're going to um, try to tie it all to the CBDC. So if you do take the UBI, you probably have to have the CBDC. And I think that's what I think that ultimately is what we're going to see in starting in Q1 of 2024. So the government comes out with the UBI. It doesn't have to be large. It could even be like, you know, a, f- a few grand a year or maybe more, but you got to take it yeah. via the CBDC. So it starts, it starts the process. Yeah, I think that's, I think we're going to start to see those types of ideas floated. Whether they get implemented or not is up to us to spread the word that this is, you know, if I'm right and this, ha- and, I, and, and I say what they're going to do and then they start doing what I said they were going to do and enough people are awake to it, we can thwart it. Knowledge is key. Now, Governor DeSantis tried to ban CBDCs in Florida. Is that possible? I don't know the specifics of the law, but what I do like is central bank digital currency was not on anybody's radar screen for the most part, but now we have politicians talking about it. Uh, Governor DeSantis, uh, we have uh, Ted Cruz talking about it, Senator Ted Cruz, and Bobby's come out against it as well. So the good news is it's getting into the conversation of uh, the national conversation, which it needs to be because most people, unfortunately, are financially ignorant when it comes to how the system really works. And that's by design. I mean, the, the, the system, I mean, I know people on Wall Street who still don't understand that it's a debt-based fiat system and that money printing is actually debt creation. There's still professionals that don't know that. Yeah, no, I know. And they don't, yeah, I know. They don't teach that at economics at MIT and on Wall Street, like you said, they usually teach you when you get there how it's supposed to work, but not much of the whys of what's going on there. You you never actually ask a lot of questions on Wall Street, do you? You got there as a junior, you're you're told this is how it works. And you're like, okay. And then when the next junior comes in, you tell him how it works and it kind of gets propagated, right? Well, and and people are siloed on Wall Street. So like, you know, when, when you're in college or business school, you interview either investment banking, equity research, or sales and trading. And so you go into your little silo and you kind of don't see the big picture. That's 
That's why the people who really killed it in the great financial crisis were people who could look across silos. You know, I talked to one guy who was working at Lehman and he saw, he started looking around at the other silos and he said, this is going to blow up. And he left Lehman to go to a hedge fund and he profited from the disaster he saw forming in his own bank. That was a smart play. Not many people saw it because you had to, you had to be kind of a, a thinker that wanted to know why. And most people don't want to know why they just, they just do because they're going to make a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. Why wasn't a, much of a question I remember being asked on the trading floor. Uh, yeah. It was more of this happens this way. This is, this happens when this happens, but not a lot of whys happened in there. Um, question about artificial intelligence. I've gone pretty deep with a bunch of people recently. Uh, depending on however you look at it, you have to admit that it's probably going to lead to a loss of jobs and a lot of efficiencies in the system. If you go far enough of this narrative, it replaces all humans. What are your thoughts on it? And also, just from an economics perspective, what do you think it'll do to the economy? Um, I think that the, the establishment knows what it's going to do to the economy. That's why the UBI and CBDC are coming. Um, it's going to displace a lot of people. And you're going to need to control those people. So, do I think AI is the AI of science fiction. No, I, I think right now I view chat. Let, let's use chat GBT as an example. I call it a, a really good first draft. I mean, I'm encouraging my son to use it. I mean, it's a tool and don't fight the tool. Um, is, is the tool going to be able to say vaccines are safe? I checked that. No. So the tool can't do deductive reasoning. The tool can't look across silos and do what we do and come to conclusions. But the tool is a good first draft. When I was in college, unfortunately, there was no PC. So I had to type all my term papers on typewriters. When Word came out, I was mad because college would have been easier. Then they started to autocomplete sentences. I view ChatGBT as an extension of that for now. It's a good first draft. And uh, you can be lazy. I mean, once you, you get your first draft, then you can ask it refining questions to make the first draft even better. So you'd be as lazy as possible to create your final document before you put your own patina on it. Does that mean I'm going to write a novel using ChatGPT? No. But if you're you know, doing standard uh, operating procedures in your company, you're doing a marketing plan and you want a first draft, I think that's, that, that is, it's going gonna, it's gonna to replace a lot of junior analyst jobs. A lot, a lot of these junior jobs go bye-bye. And, 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 and the, Success using this technology is going to be asking the right questions and becoming an expert in how to deploy this. So am I afraid of it? No. Um, but we also have to understand it's, it, it, it's, it, it can be used for great evil. It, it's, a, it's a propagandist's uh, you know, greatest te tech tool ever because you can um, feed it what you want for a narrative and then it'll be spread out there if there's a back door to anybody asking questions about something so that journalists will use chat GBT getting false narratives and going with them. So it can be used for great evil. And it's and so it needs to be monitored and needs to be um, discussed openly in my humble opinion. But I, right now it's a tool. I mean, you know, there's been various articles. Goldman said it could replace 300 million jobs. Some people are saying it could replace 25% of all jobs. I mean, if it if it gets better and it will, and in weird ways, it can actually make itself better or at least learn from itself. You know, this must go into your equations. I mean, you talk about unemployment rates and things like that, but if we just 
don't need, you know, 10% of the workforce. I mean, that causes a lot of issues economically, social unrest, UBI introduction. I mean, it, it can really throw the world into a mess. Absolutely. And look, if you knew this was coming and you were the central planners, um, you would be scared of the ramifications and wouldn't it be nice to control those people and give them goodies. Uh, and uh, that, it seems like that's that what we're seeing. And, uh, you know, it's going to be very interesting the next 10 years. And I do think there's a renaissance on the other side, but between now and then it's going to get pretty wild. <laughs> What's the renaissance on the other side, Ed? Uh, there's going to be a rejection of the system that we currently have. The system we have is unfortunately, um, I call it a satanic system. It's a system of war, peace, inflation, deflation, war, peace. It's a cy- endless cycle. The, 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 the debt itself creates its, its own problems. And uh, there's always demographic uh, trends. And you know when you create debt and then your demographics in the country go the wrong way, you can't support the debt. Then the leaders can't take the blame. So they usually try to go to war and, 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 and cause uh, distraction. So it, the system of debt-based fiat currency needs to go away. We need to come up with something else. And it has to be based around truth and integrity, where you can't game the system. And um, you know, a lot of people have gotten rich being close to the printing presses, not because of hard work and innovation. Um, you know, what you and I are on Wall Street, and you know, I when I sit back and think about what I did, I was good at what I did, but I got paid way more than a uh, a brain surgeon or a rocket scientist because I was good at manipulating symbols and numbers, and that's because I was close to the printing press. And the further away you get from, you get from the printing press, the less, the less the value I think you are to the system, unfortunately. Yeah, I used to have a client, um, Italian client at uh, Credit Suisse when it still was around. And um, I was his you know, institutional broker for like a decade. And we would regularly have the conversations and I'd be like, Luca, the city of London, where mediocre people get paid ridiculous amounts of money, and we would just always laugh because we were surrounded by people that would be builders or caterers or whatever in another parallel universe, and yet here they were making millions of pounds a year. And yeah, we didn't say it at the time or even know it, but it was because we were close to the printing press at the end of the day. Absolutely, and you know, one of the things I remember working on Wall Street, there was kind of a unspoken fear that during every downturn, you know, the, the, the game of musical chairs, you just knew there were going to be less seats, uh, these coveted seats to make the, this amount of money. So, and you knew that if once you were tossed out, you would have to get a real job. And it was a problem because most of the people didn't have real skills. Yeah. There, there's, uh, an unspoken underlying tension that's always been on wall street, which is when will the gig be up? Right? When will the jig be up? When yeah, will that pretty re- yeah? When will everyone realize that what we're doing here, we sh- we shouldn't be doing, or we shouldn't get paid what we're paid for? Right? Um, yep. Uh, you, you mentioned just briefly civil unrest, and you know, I I I, I got a quote from you. It's and you'd said, I don't want to be a doomsdayer, but I can't control what people do. But if there is an economic collapse and an understanding of all sorts of corruption that's surfacing as we speak, there could be some social unrest. 
What do you think that looks like? And is that something that you're concerned about? Yeah, again, it's predictions and opinions, but my biggest fear are not from those of us that are awake because we're, you know, we're peaceful people. We're trying to take action and create new systems, create new things. So we have a purpose and we have a mission and we've already got, you and I and others have already gone through a cognitive dissonance years ago of understanding the world I thought I lived in changed. The fear I have is that because of the vaccine issue and the economic issue, it's going to be too much for too many people to handle all at once. And they're going to, some of their brains are going to break. And I think the brains most at risk are those of the people who are uh, most trusting in the system that have benefited from the system. Uh, people who have um, tribal identity, like in the woke, the woke ideology or the recent religion of, uh, of COVID, I call them COVIDians, people who embraced this fear and made it you know, their identity and they virtue signal and they um, banned all the people that weren't on board from their lives. These people, if they do suddenly have an awakening, they could snap because it, it, it could be too much too quickly. They, they, you know, they've been poisoned, they were lied to, and all of a sudden they may be out of a job uh, you know, because of the economic downturn. And those are the people who I think will be most at risk for civil unrest and violence. Not, not us. Yeah, I agree. And then tell them that, uh, AI just took 20% of their jobs and you've just conditioned them over the last five, 10 years that the government looks out for everything they do. And yeah, then they're in this bad situation where they have to deal with a reality that's almost inconceivable. Yeah, I agree. That could be pretty dangerous. Um, your website was attacked recently, financetechnologies.com. Uh, ours was actually attacked back in 2020. Uh, malicious attack. It was very interesting. What did you learn? What happened? And what does that tell you? Yeah, so there were two things. Um, they happened at the same time. So the website went down. Uh, first, we had a service provider go bankrupt. So, that, so our website went down because our service provider went down. We thought that was pretty innocent. We didn't make a big deal of that. Then we got a new service provider. Then the website went down and uh, we talked to a representative there and they said, oh, this is a problem that needs to be um, sent to a senior analyst. And so uh, we suspect we were hacked. Uh, we haven't gotten the final report from the service provider. We got the, the website back up. But at the same time that was going on, I started to receive a new a line of personal attacks uh, that I suspected were, would have come when I launched the book. And, uh, you know, Gavin and I said when the book launched that we suspect people will come and try to deflect all the research into the following. And they would say, how dare you put the face of a dead person's child on your book without their permission, which we don't need to because it's fair use. All the pictures are from news articles. We didn't, we didn't, we, we didn't pull it off the family website. This is already fair use. So fair use protects us. And we don't comment in any, on anyone. We just put the, you know, the news story in the book. Uh, coordinated at the same time that the website came down, I received a bunch of uh, messages in my LinkedIn uh, from different people uh, excoriating me for putting, not, not the parents of these children, but say, how dare you? And, there were, and then there were a bunch of reviews showed up on the book at the same time. So it was coordinated attack. What's the good news is this. At first, they, at first they ignore you. 
Then they laugh at you with fact checks. And now they're fighting back. They're not, not, and then in ne- the next phase is we win. So the good news is they're now engaging. I've gotten to the point and the message has gotten to the point collectively and myself, all the doctors, you, where we're becoming a problem for them. We're starting to have an impact and breaking through to the marginal mind. So now they have to pay attention. That's I, I People said, are you scared? I said, no, this is good news. This is, if we were ignored. Now, now they have to fight us. It's great. Yeah, the worst thing is when you're ignored. So this is progress. <laughs> and I know you came out and commented on that, which is good. Uh, you briefly mentioned woke. What do you, me- what do you make of some of the, the, the attacks back at, say, the woke companies? Uh, best example is probably Target and the stock price, Bud Light, Disney. Are you surprised that actually people are having an effect on some of these companies that have gone a little bit too far? And pursuing what it said, Patrick, but David said, I know you've been on his show. He's been on our show. He said, these businesses have forgotten that it's the customers they need to look out for as opposed to the virtual signaling that they're doing. What do you make of that? And, and were you surprised? You know, um, I think, I think this whole woke thing kind of had its origins in Occupy Wall Street and corporate America and government decided to co-op, uh, this movement and bring it into the corporations under DEI and, uh, you know, make them make, you know, take the focus off them and make everyone a victim. And so it's now turning back on the corporations because unfortunately, uh, they went after, they they took this thing so far, they went after the children. And I think people have had it. Once you start going after kids, it's, it's game over. And I think also, um, What's been going on since COVID has made a lot of people just start to ask lots of questions. So I think it's just, it's kind of a zeitgeist effect. There's a lot of distrust in institutions and people are becoming activated. And I think it's great. I think people are starting to push back and these corporations, I mean, I just want to make people understand the Bud Light decline in sales is horrific for a consumer product company. These are, these products normally grow two to 3%. Um, and so, you know, if they have a 4% growth year, that's like a home run because, you know, they're growing at the rate of the population. They try to incentivize you to drink more. Minus 27% is catastrophic. I mean, it's, it, it's, 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 it's brand ending. Um, and Target looked at that probably, saw what was going on. And, and uh, I guess apparently emergency memos have gone out and they're pulling this stuff all out of the stores is what the reports are. And what I'm seeing on Twitter, people have, Gone, gone in, filmed it. Then they heard the memo came out and they went back and the, and the displays are all gone. So there seems to be uh, an effect that's finally coming to the forefront from people voting with their dollars. And that's what you got to do. You got to vote with your dollars. And collectively, if you do that, we can have an impact. I think, I think it's, I think it's, I think uh, we're over the hump of peak woke. I think woke is in decline. We saw peak woke about, you know, six to, eight, you know, 12 months ago. And as a trend analyst, we had the blow off top and woke and it's over. And now we're going into a free fall, in my humble opinion. I hope you're right. I must say, Ed, we don't get, we don't get the heavy dose in that you guys get in the States or even in the hot spots, maybe like California or New York. So, uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't feel it or see it like in my day to day. So sometimes it's hard to believe. I feel like I'm watching some fiction when I see some of the examples of things going on and the, 
you know, some of the things happened at schools and the drag stuff. I'm just like, what is going on here? So um, I hope you're right about that decline. You know, uh, I'm like you. I don't see it because I, you know, I work for myself with my partners. So day to day, I don't see it. But I, I hear people who work at these big corporations. They're miserable because they they they, they walk on eggshells, worried about saying something. These corporations have been infiltrated with these woke warriors who monitor your speech. And so the productivity losses from this DEI, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion has, re- I mean, people have just don't like coming to work and, and, and they're, they're, they're miserable. And I, you know, more and more people are quitting those jobs and saying, I'd rather have less money and go work with normal people. And that's happening. Wow. Well, I hope your peak woke call is is, is correct. Um, what do you make of the other Republican race and Trump being back in and uh, DeSantis now opting in and now everyone and their mother seems to be joining the Republican ticket? I mean, yeah, everybody's coming out of the woodwork. What do you make of that race? You know, uh, the, the, if Trump had, um, in my humble opinion, Pulled a 180, admitted he was wrong on the vaccines. He'd be doing, you wouldn't have all these challengers. DeSantis is now starting to bring that up as an issue. Uh, I guess Trump at one of his rallies was asked by uh, one of his supporters, what do you, what, what, what's your thoughts on the vaccine? It's hurting you. And he still is endorsing it and thought it was great. So unfortunately, Trump is his own worst enemy. His inability to admit that he made a mistake and pull a 180. Um, it's going to cause him to create more competition in the field. He would own it if he had, you know, 12 months ago said, I'm sorry, this was a big mistake. I may have been deceived, but I own it because I'm the boss. But he did, you know, he, he's still, he's still Trump and Trump can never make an error. Unfortunately, he's his own worst enemy egoically. I, I mean, he did a lot of good things. If it was Trump versus Biden in the general, I'm going to go Trump. But, uh, right now he's got big, big problems in my humble opinion. Yeah, that is something that, uh, that's, that, that's kind of the thing, isn't it? <laughs> but like you said, it's almost in his character not to go back on that. But I bet he probably feels that way, for sure. Um, Elon Musk and Twitter, is that becoming a great place for free speech? Or do you think that's going to go back the other way because of the new CEO? I know we had conversation with, I think, Bobby recently. But what do you make uh, of that and that going forward? Well, you know, Elon's an interesting character. Uh, you know, he's, he knows how to read the room and he built his business on tax credits, uh, to build electric cars, to groovy progressive people who wanted to save planet earth. And now they're mad at him because he's betrayed them because he likes free speech. So he's an interesting guy, but I think he also knows, um, that without free speech, eventually they come for him. So, you know, even though he's a rich, uh, wealthy man, uh, and he's, uh, um, he re- he realizes without free speech it becomes a tyranny. So I you know I applaud him for what he did with Twitter. Whether or not it goes back, uh, that remains to be seen. Obviously, I continue to you know I was banned from Twitter in June of twenty twenty two. He put me back on in December, and my following has gone from eighty seven thousand to two hundred sixteen. So I'm happy that he did that because the message is getting out and he's saving lives because of what I'm doing. So you know he's a He's a man who's doing the right things now. Let's hope he keeps doing them. And let's hope that this hire he made uh, doesn't reverse things. And again, if she does, hopefully he fires her. 
Yeah, it's a funny fine line. Like I, I think Elon's a net positive and he's done some amazing things for free speech. And like Bobby's saying, I mean, it all comes down to that. Like the freedom is, it's the place to start. It's the only place to start. And um, so I, I've enjoyed watching what he's done and what he's doing it. But I had a guest on the other day, I don't know who it was. And they said, but at the end of the day, he's a businessman. And I respect that, I'm a businessman too, but you know, you have to understand he's not a free speech abolitionist. He's not a guy that's just morally principled. He's a guy that's worth $200 billion for a reason. He does business in China with Tesla. Um, there was recent reports came out that one of the investors in Twitter marked their investment down by two thirds. So that's a 44 billion down to 16 or something on their mark to market. So he really, he does have a company to run at the end of the day. Otherwise, Twitter becomes a moot. I know he brought this woman in to make some money. So I guess to be continued on this. Um, but like you said, he reads the room well. I think he's net positive, but he's also got to walk the, the goddamn line. You know, it's got to be a business and he's got to continue to do business in countries around the world and continue to do what he does. So what did Johnny Cash say? You got to walk that line, right? Yep, yep. So we'll see how he does it. Hopefully he does it uh, well. Um, what's next for you, Ed? Um, obviously, you know, you're doing financetechnologies.com, websites back up. What is, yeah, your next to what 12 months look like? Uh, yeah, so we're, we're, we're kind of switching uh, gears. We've done a lot of vaccine uh, damage and injury work and analysis. And now we have a team of volunteers uh, that have been built up around us. We, you know, we've gone from three of us to, to about 10 of us now. Uh, all working for free. Um, we're we're going to start probably funding projects uh, with uh, outside money, but it'll be all transparent. It will be small amounts of money just to you know pay for server capacity and some research uh, people. So we'll do that transparently. Then we're going to uh, raise capital for a hedge fund, and uh, we're Carlos and I and Yuri just the last couple of weeks, we're now gonna really focus on that. We have a, a pitch deck on that. We're not sending the pitch deck to the world. It's by appointment only. And we're looking for a partner that will seed the fund, get 20% equity in the firm and, uh, and, and grow us from there. But the first partner, obviously it's very important. They need to be aligned with all our values and they need to be strategic. So we're taking our time uh, we have a lot of incoming inquiries. When is the fund going to be open? So once we do get the fund, the follow-on money, I think, will be fast and furious and the growth will be fast and furious. But, you know, we we just, we need that key strategic partner to launch the fund. And we're looking for uh, about a $100 million seed. And so that means we need to talk to well-heeled individuals or institutions. We have had some inquiries from a private bank in Germany who uh, seems to be representing a family which we will not name, that uh, may be associated uh, with uh, ancient banking money. And um, we're, uh, we said, well, we're not going to give you the pitch deck. We'd rather meet the family. So until we meet the family, no pitch deck. <laughs> Would you take their money? Uh, probably not, because you know, we'd have to sit across the table from them, meet them, and tell them, these are our values. What are your values? So, you know. I, 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 we don't think we're ever going to see the family. We just think they want information. Right. No, that makes sense. You got to watch it out there. And what are you going to invest in? What types of things? Uh, right now, I like cash. Uh, we're going to um, invest. 
well, the, the, that's personally, the fund is going to be a CTA fund. It's, it's quantitatively driven systematic fund that's run with economic fundamental indicators. So it's not a traditional quant fund that's based on momentum models and multivariate market factors. It's the signals are generated from economic fundamentals. Uh, we're going to uh, express our bets in, uh, uh, stock indices, uh, future stock indices, future uh, currency markets, future bond uh, index markets, and commodities. So it's going to be a product that can get up to ten to fifty billion because it's very liquid and it's it's primarily geared at um, being not correlated to equities, U.S. equities, and giving about a one point one to one point two uh, uh, you know alpha return. So it's 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 kind of a steady eddy fund that over time compounds money we're looking for you know 15 percent return with 15 percent volatility so it's 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 kind of uh you know some years uh the model has shown it's up big some years it's up small but over time it just grows and it's it's independent of uh the human factor it's all generated by economic models and um uh right now uh and and the thing we like about it too is it does not trade in and out of things daily. The trades are put on average trade hold length is three months, three to six months. So it's not a it's not a trading strategy. It's an investing strategy. Okay, very exciting. Uh, the book is Cause Unknown: The Epidemic of Sudden Deaths in 2021 and 2022. And what's the best way for them to follow you on Twitter? Is that best? Uh, Twitter and Getter. So Twitter is at Dowd Edward D O W D Edward and Getter at Edward Dowd. And also. All of our vaccine humanity project research is at financetechnologies.com, spelled with a PH. And again, if if this is your first time you're hearing about Ed, I mean, just dive into these numbers because you can't argue with something being this many standard deeds out. I mean, it's just data. And the data is overwhelmingly telling you from many different angles that something happened in 21 and 22 to drastically affect a healthy population and the economy, et cetera. And I just love how you present this because without all the other thoughts and opinions of this, you just point it and say, okay, explain this. Can anyone explain this? And like you said, it would be a pandemic on its own if it was ever just focused on by mainstream media the way that COVID was in 2020. And again, I, 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 I challenge anybody to just go do that stuff. Um, Ed, just any final thoughts and just really appreciate everything you're doing there. I, you're, you really come at for this, a, a super valuable angle. So just thanks for everything you do. Yeah, no problem. And uh, thank you for having me on. Final thoughts, look, it's gonna be turbulent and kind of weird the next six to 24 months. And my biggest piece of advice is don't be in fear. Um, the world isn't ending. It's just changing and be the change you want to be. Get involved. Um, you know, get, however that is, manifest change. Don't sit around waiting for people to take care of it for you. And uh, make your voice heard. Tell a neighbor what's really going on. Tell a friend, tell a loved one. You can use the book as one way of doing it. You can use Brian's uh, London Real videos. Just get this information in front of people because intuitively deep down many people know something's off and they may not be aware of it and the more people we can make aware of what's going on the less fear there will be and when we have less fear there's less control because that's how they control people through fear because when fear happens you go into anxiety and depression 
your critical thinking skills are turned off and you become ill. That's just, that's just how it happens. So don't do that. It's going to be okay. That's the best advice you can give anybody, Ed. It's actually, it's a line from our documentary that's coming up. Is it fear is the weapon uh, that they used to keep you oppressed? And that's what they dealt with. They were fear dealers all in 20 and 21 and 22. And they got everybody to make these irrational decisions. So if you can do anything, just find a way to manage that through a physical practice, meditation practice, information practice, community practice, and be prepared for things to scare you in the future. Um, and be prepared to just realize that actually it's gonna be okay. We are gonna find solutions. And, uh, and that's the best advice. So thanks for that, Ed. Appreciate that. Wishing you all the best down in Perth. I will get out to see you in Hawaii at some point. And let's definitely have you back on again in the future and check in. Uh, really appreciate everything you do. Thank you so much, Brian. Awesome to be here again. All right, great stuff. Thanks, everybody. Share this episode. We'll see you next time on London Real. Bye.